0: To me, marketing is made up of three pieces. There's the top of funnel, which is the kind of awareness phase of getting people into the top to know you exist. And then you've got the the process of like middle of funnel, which is about building that trust, uh, educating them about what you do. And then eventually you take them to a bottom of funnel, which is designed to get them into a sales conversation, either one-on-one, one-to-many, whatever it is that gets someone to make that buying decision. That's kind of a marketing funnel. How much should I be spending or investing in my marketing? Mm -hmm. And that answer is as much as you possibly can. And if your marketing strategies are working, and they won't all work, if they are working, then you could have an unlimited marketing budget. You know, it seemed to be all about, you know, either just
1: getting leads or looking at, you know, once we had a customer on board, just looking at the snapshot of what the customer's first sale was. Now, there's two problems there. Number one, if you're just looking at leads, you need, you're you looking at the wrong thing. You need to be looking at, well, how many customers actually result in a sale? How many customers actually result in profit for the business? Mm-hmm. And then if you're thinking just one dimensionally about, you know, what is the value of their first sale? You need to be now thinking about the lifetime value of the customer.
0: Hey and welcome to a, another show of Entrepreneurs Rising. I am one of your co-hosts, Carl Taylor. I'm joined by the incredible Peter Moriarty. Hey Pete, how you doing? I'm doing awesome, Carl. How you doing, brother? I am doing fantastic. It has felt like a long time since we've connected even though it was only a short while ago. I'm really excited for today's episode. I don't know about you, but today we're talking about a topic that I think a lot of business owners really care about, right? They like all know how do I get more customers? What do I do? Everyone wants more customers. And then there's that M word marketing. And a lot of people start running away and go, oh, I don't know. So today we're going to talk about marketing. We're going to talk about uh, various ways to market, share some stories from our own experience because that's what this podcast is about. It's all about helping entrepreneurs to rise, to become the rising tide, lifting all boats. We want to do that by sharing our own experience of the, uh, what, I think it's almost 40 years worth of business experience if we combine our, our business years together. So I'm excited for today's episode. And I guess, Pete, what are you most excited about when you think about marketing? Uh, when I think
1: about marketing I don't get excited uh, I, I actually I, I go into a bit of fear mode uh, and I and I think about the earlier years in my business when I was not competent at marketing and I still really really consider myself a student and very much in in learning mode because I don't consider myself a marketer even though i I've being told many times, wow, Pete, I love your marketing or you market really well. I think I'm I know that I'm definitely competent at being visible. I'm great at that. But I actually consider myself more of a salesperson and an influencer and a leader rather than a marketer. And when I spend time with marketers, I consider you a marketer. I consider some of my other friends who literally work in marketing to be marketers, I realize. Uh, well, I, I, I feel like, you know, maybe I can't label myself a marketer. So I don't get excited about it. But what I uh, do feel is I feel thankful for the journey that I've been on. And, uh, and I feel good that we're going to pull it apart today, because I'm really interested in, you know, reflecting on what works and, and what doesn't work. But not only that, I think, you know, unpacking the mind of a marketer, which is you. And so I'm excited for that.
0: Yeah, well, I, I I cheekily asked you that question because I knew that uh, marketing is not your favorite topic, even though you do love learning about it, right? Like you 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 take an active interest, and I appreciate you sharing that. Like, I would love to know from your experience, is it because you've done a bunch of marketing that just took, it and that's what made you like? What is it that you go? I love sales, but what is it you think about marketing that makes you go? Oh, I don't know if this is right for me because I I think there's a lot of business owners who are just like you, Pete.
1: Yeah for me there's two things that are very very clear about my personality and psychology that that make up that that fear and that challenge number one is i don't feel comfortable with things that i that i'm not good at i've always been the kind of person that i can jump on a bike and do it i can jump on a snowboard and do it i can jump on a wakeboard and do it i, I you know like i've always been competent at the things that i try and if something is difficult for me to get started with I give up. (laughs) It's just, that's just me. Uh, And then combined with number two being that I'm fearful of the idea of public humiliation. Mm. That's, it's just an ego thing. It's just a part of who I am. And so those two things combined together, having to learn the discipline of marketing is challenging. And it's something that I'm not naturally good at. I am better being the mechanic, working behind the scenes in a business, tweaking the delivery and tweaking the operations and tweaking the financial model than I am at, you know, my perception of marketing is like constantly pumping out new ideas and 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 you know being in creation mode. Uh, I, I can't sustain that for long periods of time. Or I don't want to sustain that for long periods of time. But then uh, also, you know, I guess it's a bit of the, the fear of failure there as well. So I'm not mm. saying that I despise marketing. I do market and and how I've tricked my psychology into focusing on marketing because the last year really for me, my role as a CEO has been to be a marketer in the business. I've had to step up and actually do that role. How I tricked my psychology was I said, okay, well, this marketing thing is just a problem for me to solve. Uh, and so I'm really curious about how I can solve the problem of marketing in the business, how I can solve how to do it, how to be effective at it. And then once we've got some basic runs on the board, how we can then uh, you know, tweak and improve, which is a process that I really love doing. So that's, that's kind of been my my development of marketing. But I think back to when I was in an earlier stage of business and I was being told, hey, you should cold call, you should do this, or you should do this one Facebook funnel that's going to work. And I tried those things and they didn't work. And I just felt like shit. <laughs> so that's oh. that's a little history of Pete's psychology and how
0: he approaches marketing. <laughs> well and I, I love that you said that because instantly like you, you were talking about wanting to unpack the psychology of a marketer. And I find it so fascinating that some of your background story there of why you prefer sales over marketing I have the exact same story, but I have the complete inverse. I love marketing. Mm. I got good at marketing because I felt I couldn't sell. And so I'd rather just take orders rather than have to sell someone. So I don't want to cold call people. I don't want to do cold calling. I want people calling me. So I got really good because my personality type naturally is not the type to go out door knocking. I've tried cold calling back in my IT business days because a business coach told me to. I hated it. I'm proud of myself for doing it, but it was horrible. Kudos if, if if you are someone who loves cold calling. So that's, that was, it was that psychology of going, how do I get people calling me, chasing me, telling me they want to buy from me? All I have to do is go, actually, this is not a good fit for you. Or yes, it is. Like I, it's all my job is then as a salesperson is, is this actually a fit for what you need? Great. If not totally okay. Cause I've got a marketing machine that is just d- delivering me people who are wanting to chase me. And so it's so fascinating,
1: very different approach. (laughs) Very, yeah, totally. I, I love the validation of somebody accepting me and saying yes. And so for me as a salesperson, marketing for me is about just showing the world how attractive I am, but the sale is where I actually get the validation. It's where I get the yes or the no. Are you valuable? Are you worthy? Uh, and so that's that's where I get excited.
0: And I still want people to come to me, but it's I think for a different reason. Pete, I'm going to tell you right now: you are worthy. You are valuable. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, everyone. <laughs> anyone else it. listening who's who's needing that from their their customers? You are loved. You are worthy. Um, but no, I love that. I think that, and that's I think that's really important that we understand ourselves. I think that's the first thing is get really clear as a business owner, as a, uh, a you know someone working in a business, just know what do you like to do? As a mechanic type mindset, if you're more that introverted mechanic type mindset that Pete talked about, you know the mechanic part, I see myself in a very similar way. I'm a creator as well, but I am very similar in the mechanics. And I know a lot of mechanics people that are completely invisible marketing machines. One guy comes to mind as a friend doing multi million dollars a month in his business and no one knows his name. He is the invisible man pulling the levers and he's got other people's faces out there. It's incredible. And he would call himself a marketer. So wherever your kind of boat is, I think we all agree that marketing is a key part of of business, right? And some people their marketing approach is referrals. It was for me. Pete, was that how you started as well? Was it referrals?
1: Well I guess naturally everyone gains referrals, unless you're absolutely terrible at delivery, everyone's going to get referrals. And 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 I and I think that's a very like solopreneur early stage business, natural marketing consequence of just doing business, right? That's, you know, and, and it's the easiest thing to happen. It just naturally happens. What I learned in the early stages of my, of my business, I had ambition to grow and I learned that marketing needs to become a discipline outside of just referral marketing. And, and what I thought was marketing was, you know, having a website, Or, you know, building and they will come totally, yeah. That actually, I would argue, is, is actually part of your nurture process or your sales process. And that marketing is actually finding people who don't know about you and getting them to know about you. Sales and nurturing is more about taking the people that know about you and turning them into customers. When many people think about marketing, they think newsletters. They think posts on your social pages. If someone's already following you on your social page, then they already know about you. Is that really marketing? I don't know. It depends on your definition. But it was that finding new people. Uh, that was the big shift for me in the early days, and moving mm. away from the idea of the referral-based marketing. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. You know, there's you got networking groups like you know your BNIs and and your other networking groups which. And I was a part of those, and they're, they're really, really great for establishing networks and, and building out, you know, if you're a, a you know, sole operator or solopreneur, uh, building that out. And there's nothing wrong with with being a solopreneur in business. That's absolutely fine. You're likely to be exchanging your time for money, and that's one downside of that. But you have full autonomy. You don't have to deal with staff, and you can become a very highly paid consultant in that model and that's absolutely fine that's that's your choice the thing that's important to me though carl is leverage and mm. i think as a business grows and scales you get to do more of what you like to do you get to be in your genius more and you get more results for every hour or minute that you invest into the business and so it's a requirement to move away from that style of marketing just kind of like deliver well and wait for people to refer and, and you know, move away from just exchanging time for money and you doing all of the delivery because you can deliver better than anyone else can deliver but that's, you know, it's the trap of the of the e-myth of, you know, being stuck as the technician forever and, you know, I think most of our listeners are probably at least beyond that or aspiring
0: to be, on, to be beyond that. Mm, I'd love to add a distinction here because when we're talking about referrals, you know, um, getting a referral, just getting referrals because you naturally did a good job, I don't consider that marketing, right? Like that's just a byproduct of you doing, delivering great value and people going, hey, this is amazing. I want to share it. If you're not getting it, then I'd be looking at it's a delivery problem, not necessarily a marketing problem. And there is a difference, though, to if you have a referral generating strategy, Mm -hmm. then it can be deemed marketing. If you've actually built into your system that at the end of every job, you specifically then send them a letter or you personally ask them as it's built into your system to get the referral on a consistent basis. Now you have implemented a marketing strategy, but if it's just hope and pray, I get a good referral then it's just hope and pray. It's not really marketing. Uh, So that's a good little distinction there that there's nothing wrong with referrals. I encourage you to get referrals. They're the most affordable marketing lead generation you will ever do. It's so smart to leverage them, but it will, at least in my experience, and I think Pete's experience, only get you so far, right? You only get to a certain point where if you really want to grow, you need something a bit more predictable. And I think that's the biggest challenge as business owners In the beginning, if you start building teams, the biggest, at least in my experience, fear is: well, will I have enough income coming in to pay for these team members? Like, will I have enough work for them? Will I? Will I? Sell, I buy all that stock. Will I be able to sell it? And it's really hard to make those decisions of committing if you don't feel strong and confident that there's a a marketing machine or there's a few marketing channels that are bringing new people into your world. And and Pete, you talked about the idea of sales being like the decision process and and Mark and like nurturing people versus marketing being what I would deem top of funnel. And see, to me, marketing is made up of three pieces. There's the top of funnel, which is the kind of awareness phase of getting people into the top to know you exist. That's just purely about getting eyeballs to know you exist and to engage with you. And then you've got the the process of like middle of funnel, which is about building that trust Uh, educating them about what you do. And then eventually you take them to a bottom of funnel, which is designed to get them into a sales conversation, either one-on-one, one-to-many, one-to-a-web page, whatever it may be, one-to-a-bot, whatever it is that gets someone to make that buying decision. That's kind of a marketing funnel. You also talked about, that I wanted to unpack and and, and talk about here, that you think marketing is about talking to people who don't know you exist. And it brought to mind, there's the concept of when you're marketing, there are really three types of people you can be marketing to. There are people who are solution aware, meaning like Pete, in your example, you run an IT service agency. I run like a marketing implementation agency. They are aware that they need an IT company to help them, right? So when you're talking and you're marketing to someone who's solution aware, it is very different. They're the kinds of people who are going to Google and they're searching IT company, Sydney, IT company, Chicago, marketing support, virtual assistants online. Like they're searching. They know that they know where they have a problem. They know what a potential solution is and they're searching for the best provider. So those people, your marketing is about showing them why you're the best solution. Then you've got the people who are problem aware. They don't actually know that you're, a business like yours exists or what they need. They don't know they need an IT person's help. They just know that right now my problem is, my entire, like my, my current, my IT systems aren't working. That's my problem. It doesn't work. Or I need to do all this marketing stuff and I can't do it myself. Like that's their problem. They're aware of that. They're like, I know I need to do all these things. I can't do it myself. I know I need some, the whole computer stuff needs to be improved. They're problem aware. And so you're, you're engaging with those people in a message of how to, you know, this is your problem. Do you have this problem? And you're introducing the solution, which is your company. They don't yet know that you are the solution. And then you've got the final, the most expensive people to market to out of everyone are the people who are unaware. The people you have to convince them that they have a problem. And then once you've convinced them there's a problem, you need to educate them of the solution and then convince them why you're the best solution in the first place. So it's solution uh, aware mode. It's purely about showing them why you're the best option for them and their specific situation. That's all you got to do. So if you're starting out marketing, like that's where you start, you don't try and go to the people who have no idea that you exist. You start with the people that know about the solution and you're showing them why you're the best option. As that starts to hit its cap, which it will you then move into the next phase, which is about getting the people who are problem aware and you're talking to their problem, but the messaging you're using and the strategies you might use will be different. So, you, I just this, I wasn't planning about talking about this, Pete, but you said something that made me catch it. And I was like, that's something that I think is really valuable that a lot of people aren't aware that when you're marketing, it's not just like market my stuff out there, knowing who you're talking to and what level they're in. Are they solution aware? Are they problem aware? Or are they completely unaware? And if you're starting your business and the only way to get people to your business is unaware people, You're really going to struggle. You're going to need huge pockets of money and doing ridiculous branding activities and trying to get on TV. And it's uh, change your business model would be my recommendation (laughs) if that's you. That's really interesting. So we've talked a little bit
1: about referrals and, you know, the types of kind of like, uh, you know, different stages of the funnel. I saw a great post on Facebook and they were called tofu mofu and bofu (laughs) for top middle and bottom of funnel uh and carl let's talk about the different types of marketing because i think when people say the word marketing they start to think letters or cold calling or facebook ads you know there's been so many different ways of marketing and and for me it's just it makes me think of overwhelm immediately with all mm. of the options and all the different ways of doing things. And I I try my hardest to 80-20 and you know, find what I know works and find what works best and optimize more and you know do small tests in areas where I might be experimenting and try not to spend too much money. I'm not a gambler and I've found that every time that I go all in, either on a strategy or on trying something new, it ends up losing. And maybe that's now a self-fulfilling prophecy, but each time that I go and throw a bunch of cash at a new idea that either isn't tested or I haven't found a way to start small and ramp it up, I find myself blowing 5 or 10 grand at a time at a minimum, uh, and I've mm. had bigger mistakes than that as well. Uh, but, Carl, I'm interested, you know, from your perspective, you know, like what, what should a business owner be considering in terms of, you know, medium and the actual strategy and how they, they implement communication with all of the options that are out there because it's I know that it's not just about some magic funnel on Facebook that the latest Instagram marketer is telling you is is going to solve all of your problems and 10x your business yes they are absolutely useful and those strategies will work but I don't know I kind of get the feeling we've got to zoom out a bit first before we decide what tools we want to pick up and use to implement a strategy
0: Mm. You mean you mean you can't you know like some say you're not just one funnel away from having a multi-million dollar business. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Look, uh, that's a that's a really big question. There's a lot of things in that. Let's zoom out uh, before I get to the types of medium because it, that's important, but it's not as important as I think people really think. Let's talk more about budgets. How much money can you put? Because mm. I think one of the biggest flaws, and it took me a while to really wrap my head around this concept of marketing is an investment and i you, you've probably heard this before you've had people talk about like you know in, in a pandemic in a situation when there's a recession going on the big thing that a lot of businesses try and retract down on is their marketing spend they stop running their which ads they stop doing which is great because it's the complete opposite of what you should do in a in a like a recession or a, a contraction if your business is is struggling and you need more leads like do not cut turn off the thing that's bringing in leads even if it's not doing it very well as long as it's in a profit. And that's the thing. I think people don't understand the general metrics of how do you ultimately have an unlimited marketing budget? You know, you may have, you may be like, what do you mean an unlimited marketing budget? My definition of marketing is the act of buying customers. That's what marketing is. You are buying customers. And when I first learned this principle, it fundamentally shifted the entire way I thought about the marketing process because now I had to go, okay, I am putting some money in. I'm going to a store. You know, I'm walking to. The, if I'm running Facebook ads and I've got a whole funnel that generates customers, I'm going to the Facebook store and I'm paying them some money. Let's say I spent a hundred dollars, and I get ten customers on the back end from my hundred dollars. Then I bought ten customers for ten dollars each. Ten times 10, hundred. So that's what happened. I went to the Facebook store and I said, "I'd like some customers, please." And then I ended up with. 10 customers on the back end for $100, $10 each for those customers. That would be, if that's so to me, marketing is the act of buying customers. Now you can spend $100 or $1,000 or $10,000 on Facebook and end up with zero customers. So that was not necessarily a great deal. You spent that $1,000, you got zero customers. Something's wrong. Doesn't mean that Facebook ads doesn't work. It could be anywhere between the Facebook click to your business conversion process. So when you start to understand that metric and that is the relationship you're going through, you start to go, ah, okay. If you understand your business properly and understand the idea of an allowable acquisition cost, is this something you've ever done, Pete? Like go on and set an allowable acquisition cost.
1: Uh, Yeah. Well, we've, we've kind of reversed engineered it from what's the lifetime value of the customer. And I think what we brought ourselves to was up to 30% of the LTV we would allow for the customer acquisition costs, sometimes called CAC. Yes,
0: absolutely. And so that's, that's the thing. Like how much, one of the big questions I've, I've answered over the years for many entrepreneurs is how much should I be spending or investing in my marketing? Mm-hmm. And that answer is as much as you possibly can. And if your marketing strategies are working and they won't all work, if they are working, then... You could have an unlimited marketing budget. You go into an ATM, you're putting $100 in, and then you pull. Sorry, you're putting yeah, putting $100 in, and you're pulling out thousands of dollars out the back end. Of course, you do that every day. Put a dollar in, get two dollars out. You do that every day. Your marketing should be that, and you only know that if you know your numbers. So the way you figure out your allowable acquisition costs is just like you've said, Pete. What is Mm. the lifetime value of your customer? What is the lifetime value of customer? What is your allow? And then once you know that, what are you prepared of that amount? to invest, to buy a customer. So let's let's say you were prepared to spend $100 to buy a customer and you you paid $10 to get that customer. Is that a good deal? Yeah. <laughs> you're, 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 deal. Prepared, you're prepared to spend $100 and you managed to get a market that you can buy customers for $10. You're going to keep doing that until... It now is costing you more than $100 to buy customers. Now, this is another thing that a lot of people make mistakes is they, they get a marketing channel or they find a marketing tool or strategy that works and they do it and it, it's fun and it works and it was profitable. But then they as the business owner get bored of it and they think, oh, I don't want, I'm going to do something new. And they do something new, which is fine. It's okay to do something new, but they do it by turning off or forgetting to no longer do the thing that did work. They go, oh, I did it once, it's fine. Or I did it twice. But if it worked once, you keep doing it until it no longer is buying you customers within your allowable acquisition cost. That's the metric. If you're buying customers for less than what you're prepared to spend to buy a customer, keep doing it. You're winning, you're winning. And so if you want to know how much to spend, you figure out your allowable acquisition cost, you times that by how many customers you want in the period you're trying to budget for, a month, a year, whatever it is. And there instantly is how much you are prepared to spend to buy customers. And now you or whoever might be running your marketing metrics have a goalpost of what they're doing. Now their whole job is to be the mad scientist because no one has a crystal ball. I don't have a crystal ball. All my friends, none of us, you you go and find a guru on stage telling you do this one thing and it will work. Even if you ever hear me say, do this one thing, it will work. I hope you never do because it's none of us have a crystal ball. It might've worked for us in our market, in our business and our niche and the way that we wrote and our language and our copy. It doesn't mean if you copy this funnel or this strategy, it's going to work for you. So you have to be a bit of a mad scientist going, it's an experiment. I have a goal to be buying customers at this price or below. I'm going to try run this experiment. I'm going to do it small to start with to experiment. Is this look like it's within that? And then I'm going to try and scale it up. And if it scales up, I want to make sure it's still within that metric. Because that's what can sometimes happen if we're talking a lot about Facebook ads. if Please don't tune out if you're thinking, I don't want to do Facebook ads. This principle applies to any platform. But the, the principle is that as you start something, it might effectively give you a really great acquisition cost, that $10. But then all of a sudden it blows out to like $500 to buy a customer. Now, is that still a good deal? Well if I'm spending $500 to buy a customer and that person, my allowable acquisition cost was only hundred dollars, probably not a good deal anymore. But this is the thing where people don't, they don't think about it. We're talking about lifetime value, not necessarily the first transaction. You could on a simpler model, if you're not a subscription business or you don't know your lifetime value, if you want a simple place to start, what is the price of the thing they buy? If they come and buy something for thousand dollars from you, let's say you make gross profit 50% on that. So $500, you know, decide how much of that $500 that you're prepared to invest to buy that customer. And there's your initial advertising spend. But I would highly encourage you to now look at how do you increase your lifetime value so you can spend more because the people who win in business are the people who can afford to spend more. You've got a competitor who comes into your space. If they can afford to spend more to buy a customer than you, they will beat you. Simple as that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I'm I'm so glad that you you brought in the finesse of mentioning the gross profit because I've seen and heard so many say that I spent X amount on ads and this is how many sales I got back. But sales are revenue. There are mm. costs to be taken out of that. And even out of your gross profit, you need to decide Uh, Well, how much is going to be a portion to marketing spend, as well as all of my other fixed expenses, (laughs) staff, wages, office, payroll, anything else that's included in there as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I think that trap for new players, that's worth mentioning. And one other one that kind of came up for me is as we were starting to build out our campaigns, it was, you know, it seemed to be all about, you know, either just getting leads or looking at, you know, once we had a customer on board, just looking at the snapshot of what the customer's first sale was. Now there's two problems there. Number one, if you're just looking at leads, you need, you're looking at the wrong thing. You need to be looking at, well, how many customers actually result in a sale? How many customers actually result in profit for the business? Mm -hmm. And then if you're thinking just one dimensionally about, you know, what is the value of their first sale? You need to be now thinking about, The lifetime value of the customer. So what is the likelihood that they will rebuy from you? If you're a subscription business, that makes it really easy. You look at, you know, the average length of subscription. uh, But let's say you're a product business and you're selling things, you've got to look at, well, what's the likelihood that someone's going to rebuy from me? And then can I factor that into my numbers as well? The equation then becomes very simple on actually calculating, you know, how much that you're willing to spend. And then from there, it's just a matter of, as you say, Carl, working backwards and working out, well, what's the, the total allowable that you're willing to spend to acquire a customer? And it should go without saying that once you're starting to optimize these numbers, you're looking at what channels are performing best in terms of different levels of uh, cost that are coming through. And so, yeah, sure, there's a couple of spreadsheets involved to get all of this happening and to actually extract all the data and, and really learn it and understand it. But this is where it gets really, really powerful and really easy for you to say yes or no to different initiatives and to see the result on the spend that you're getting. And When you see result on spend, as Carl says, if you put a dollar into an ATM and $2 comes back out, then you're just going to keep doing that as long as you can.
0: Exactly. And, and there's a couple of uh, instances, you know, everyone's got their grass is greener approach. There's times I wish I had a product-based business because it, the story I tell myself is that a product-based business, you can just pump that in. Whereas I run a service-based business as you, Pete. The reality is that I have certain caps of how many new clients we can realistically take on in a short period of time. We have team members that need to be added, trained up, all these things. There, there are certain capacity parts of it. So it's, it if your business model is infinitely scalable, it's uh, marketing is like the cash cow when you can nail it. When you're a services-based business, it's still an important part, but you will then learn to turn them on and off and it becomes like a tap, right? Mm-hmm. And you never want to turn the tap off. I will encourage you, even if you're so getting smashed, you never want to turn the tap off. You just turn it off from being a torrent of just lots of water and you might just turn it back down to a little trickle. But as long as you've got this pipeline that constantly can generate you new leads and customers who will buy, the power that you will get in scaling your business is, I cannot. I can't, it's hard to describe. Like you cannot describe, and, but I'm not going to, to, to lie to you and say, hey, it's the easiest thing you'll ever do. It is hard. Even for people like me who've been studying marketing for years, you have an idea that you're like, this is going to work, I'm sure of it. And then you put it out into the market and it doesn't convert. The big mistake though, that business owners make is you instantly go, ah, Facebook doesn't work for me. Google doesn't work for me. My clients aren't on LinkedIn. Oh, the yellow pages is dead. Like I'm sure for some people, it actually still is working for them. I don't know if they exist. I don't personally know any of them, but there was a time that yellow pages kind of worked for my business. But you don't know if you're not measuring it. So that's the very first thing. If you take nothing away from this, if you are doing any kind of marketing, you're, even if it's something like you're attending B&I or you're running some ads, start measuring part by channel where are these customers coming from. And the simplest way you can do it low-tech is every time you get a new customer, just ask them the question, hey, how did you hear about us? Mm. And they'll go, oh, I was referred by blah, blah, blah. Oh, hey, actually, I was referred through the B&I. Oh, actually, I found you on Google search. And if they say, I found you on Google you know, dig a little deeper if you need to. Oh, great. Like what specifically were you searching for? And that if you're running search ads can help you better understand where they're coming from. So that's, that's my biggest tip around that. And, and this is why then once you understand this principle, because you are, the first question you actually asked me, Pete, was well, what marketing should I be doing? What medium do I go with? It becomes irrelevant once you understand the numbers side of it and you've got your budget. Let's say you're prepared to buy customers for $500 each. You want 10 customers a month. You now know that you've got a $5,000 a month marketing budget or you or your team have that budget. So now you or your team's job is to just find an experiment and build as the most effective channels that will buy customers at the lowest price for the highest return. Because that's the other thing. What if you're getting ads? This is where when you run these numbers properly, what if you're running ads on Facebook and you're also doing a LinkedIn outreach campaign? So reaching out to people on LinkedIn maybe you're buying customers for a hundred dollars off Facebook, but with the team you've got to pay and all the various things on LinkedIn, it's costing you $500 to buy those customers still within your, your range, but it's at the higher range. But what if those Facebook people cancel after three months, whereas the people on LinkedIn stay for three years, which was the better investment, which is the better marketing strategy. And you can't make that call that decision. If you don't at least pay attention to the numbers. And I know that that's overwhelming to go, I've got to keep track of all these numbers. Don't worry. All you need to know is lifetime value. What am I prepared to spend to buy a customer? And am I buying them for less than that? And then where did you come from? Can be simple, written down on a piece of paper or a whiteboard if you need to do it low tech. There are high tech ways to do it, but just keep track of where they're coming from and keep track of what you're spending. If you spend $500 on Facebook ads and you know you've got five customers from Facebook, you know what it's costing you to buy a customer on that particular platform. So that's, yeah. that's how you decide where to do it. Where do you narrow that down a bit tighter? Every business can do paid ads, Google search ads, Google display ads, Facebook ads, even if they're only doing what's a bit more advanced, but remarketing ads. You're not going out to cold audience, but you're going to people who maybe be already on your email list. You're going to people who have visited your website and then you're basically stalking them around the web. That's what remarketing is. If you've ever been to a store online and then next thing you know, everywhere you go, you're seeing their ads. You've been remarketed to. Really super effective. If you go to my website, you'll get remarketed to. You'll see me on YouTube. You'll see me on Facebook. You'll see me on news sites that you're visiting. Really, really simple place that you can be running ads. Uh, Another one that's really powerful that I don't think enough business owners do is partnerships one of my biggest channels in my business of growing and getting clients is a lot of our clients. Thankfully, I work with a lot of coaches, business coaches in particular, and just because they love us, they then refer us to like their group of clients. And many of them have hundreds of clients. And so, some of them started out simple and then they have turned into full-blown partnerships where we actually provide resources to support them. And we're doing a lot to actually, how do we make our businesses work together better and we're promoting each other, or if not promoting each other, at least making a formalized agreement of how we can do that. So partnerships is a huge opportunity in, in every business. You find a non-competing customer or business or complementary business and you partner with them and they're going to who, who serve the same market. Then you can start getting into co- into like branding and content stuff. Like there's two types of marketing as well, Pete. I, you know, you when you talked about what you think marketing is, I think a lot of that is brand awareness marketing versus what I've been talking about with the numbers approach is a very direct response marketing approach, meaning Coca-Cola runs a big banner, you know, a big poster billboard that just says drink Coke every day or like Coca-Cola refreshing or whatever the hell it says. Small businesses don't, Don't do ads like that. Not if you want to stay in business. (laughs) Never. But why can Coke do that? Because they know their lifetime value. You get someone drinking Coke Mm. and they now drink that Coke and they're on it for 10 years. Can you imagine the lifetime value of one person seeing that billboard and deciding to buy a Coke? But it's, you don't, I would just really encourage you. If you're fresh to business, stay away from brand based marketing. If you're established in business and you've got some effective direct response strategies working, then start building out your brand awareness, your content out on social media, your, your stuff that's a bit more just getting you out there with no direct buy my thing or check it out. That's been in my experience over, over business. But Pete, like what's your experience been with direct response versus brand? That's honestly something
1: that I've hardly had the consciousness of. <laughs> uh, you know, like I've, I've, I've accidentally created brand marketing inside of Facebook because I was just so poor with my targeting that it just literally went out to people that were unlikely to have any kind of direct response to what I was advertising. Uh, And I've since learned how to market to a particular kind of person, to a particular audience. Yes, to start with some things like remarketing and retargeting ads uh, for audiences who have already found their way to our website through partners or you know, naturally through searching YouTube, watching a video, and then visiting our website via links there. So the, the idea of brand marketing to me, I don't see it as that relevant to a small business. However, I have done some experiments now. Uh, on Facebook, there's some interesting ways that you can put creative media in front of those who, you know, may be interested in the business potentially. But I think you'd have to have a business that has such a broad appeal to so many people uh, for you to do that kind of broad uh, brand marketing. And you also have to have budget to throw away nearly to be able to do that, or at least to be able to start testing that. I think for most business owners, and I certainly know running a bootstrapped business myself, meaning we don't have crazy outside investors throwing money at us for us to go and blow, we have to make sure that every dollar in our marketing counts. Uh, Mm. And so for us, we're always looking for measurable return on investment. Some of the challenges that I've had is when we've spoken to marketing and traffic agencies and they've told us about what kind of results that they can get and how many leads that they can get or how many sales that they're going to result in. Unfortunately, some of them fundamentally misunderstand the financial model of our business, which means that they're not actually taking into account things like what we talked about earlier around gross profit, around making sure your other expenses are taken care of. Around things like what's the timeline on the return on capital? If you've got a lifetime value of a customer and it's over three or five years, that means you're only going to get twenty percent of the capital back this year, and so you need to be able to fund that cash flow-wise. If you're spending up to fifty percent of the gross profit of a customer, which is probably not advisable, but let's say you spend thirty percent of the gross profit of a customer to acquire that customer, but you're only seeing twenty percent in the first year, well, you've got a deficit of your of ten percent of your marketing spend for that first. 12 months that you need to then pay for. So where do you get that money? Do you get it from the bank? Do you pay an overdraft? You've got interest charges on that. Do you take investment or do you find a way to upsell that customer into something more expensive at the start of their engagement with you? to potentially fund that marketing. Um, Either way, a lot of other business metrics start to come into play, like how fast do you want to grow? How aggressive do you want to be in scaling up and acquiring new customers, knowing what capital is going to be tied up in the marketing to actually, you know, return that back to you. Um, But then also, you start to think about the kind of metrics that a SaaS or a software as a service business uses for their actual growth. Things like what is the ratio of your customer acquisition cost to the lifetime value? By the way, they say you want to keep the lifetime value above three times at an absolute minimum, the customer acquisition cost, and that's the lifetime value in a gross profit profit basis. Um, And so there's lots of numbers that that can actually get into it. uh, But Carl, I think bringing it back, bringing it back to the simple, to the simple, to the simple is knowing that every dollar that you're spending in marketing needs to have some kind of result. And it's okay to experiment, but where you can experiment small, so you're not throwing away, failing, and then, you know, potentially bruising your ego or, or, you know, losing out because you have a perception that a particular channel or a particular strategy doesn't work just because you failed the first
0: time you tried it. Uh, Exactly. Like bring it, As you say, bring it back to the uber simple. You just got to track results. You know, if you run an ad campaign, or you do, you engage an agency, or what? If you run marketing and you're not measuring whether it's working, you're just, you're basically going to the casino, putting money down on black, and going great. And, and hopefully there'll be yeah. Hopefully there's money there, or maybe not. And then when it comes around Hope to do marketing. it again, you do you do it again. You go great, let's do it again, and you still don't know. Whereas if at least if you knew consistently that yeah, one ev- in every three times you put it on black, you're going to return. At least now you've got some numbers to work with. And so, Carl,
1: um, do you remember a time that you actually fucked up that that you oh. you've tried something and it just didn't work? Just so we can you know share and I think empathise with <laughs> a listener who has no doubt tried things
0: and they've not worked. Oh, well, I mean, the the one that most comes to mind is my favorite memory from 2000. And, it was my IT company. I don't even remember what the year was, but Yellow Pages, the books even still existed back then. Uh, I wasn't prepared to invest in the book, but the salesperson managed to convince me that I needed to at least be in Yellow Pages online. And so I don't even remember the price now, but I know it was at least a couple of thousand dollars we spent for this ad to be in Yellow Pages online. And good came from it because I had a cold call from a business coach who che- who introduced me to a whole new world but he asked a really good question and we weren't originally we weren't measuring so i don't know for sure but as soon as we started measuring it became very clear that we were wasting our money on this ad it was complete waste of money i can also think of being in bni i went to bni i loved connecting with people it was great fun i didn't love the mornings obviously in now i think they've got a more virtual environment but when I finally sat down and did the numbers, I noticed that we got a lot of referrals in the beginning that were still paying us dividends, long lifetime value from those initial. But the year that followed, they'd been pretty well nothing. It wasn't, we were just wasting money staying in the community. Like it was keeping connections alive, but it wasn't serving the business for the original reason that we wanted to do that. I also have spent plenty of times on things that didn't really return. I mean, it, it wasn't really a marketing tool, but it kind of was going to be. My first book, Red Means Go, it cost me $6,000 to print, publish, do everything. I don't know. I'm sure I have got a, the return back by now and I've got the return in other ways, but it it did not give me a direct financial because I didn't build it. It was not smart, strategic, uh, written to generate leads like it could have been i've done facebook ads that have given me no money or gotten me a couple you know thousands of leads but none of those leads bought yeah when none of us are immune to it we all we all do different things that just don't work the that key thing is not giving very up. similar to my experience <laughs> you just don't give up you just you just go cool all right what did i learn from that and you try something else and and it's often the offer like as a marketer my biggest experience is that it's often not the medium unless you've just completely missed the point that you're your, your audience is not on that medium. Like if your audience listen to 2GB, like talk radio and you're advertising on something like Nova uh, for the, with all the young millennials, you got a mismatch in your advertising. That's not necessarily going to be smart, but if you're, if you're advertising to where your audience is, be that Facebook, be that radio. Like that's the thing I, I as a marketer, a lot of people think I'm all about online. There's still value in radio, TV. It all depends on where your audience is. So that's the first question. You ask yourself, where is my audience? That'll help narrow down your, your, your list. And then the second thing is test offers. Your offer that you think is going to go really well there's a high chance will be the one that flops and it'll be the one that you think wasn't going to go well is the one that actually works out better. That's been my experience a few times. Yeah. So I heard an
1: interesting suggestion from Simon Reynolds, who's uh, very well known, Uh, in the business space in Australia. And what he said was to look at what your competitors are doing and, and copy their, not their ads, obviously, uh, but the medium that they're using, because if they're doing it, then it's it's obviously working. What are your thoughts on that?
0: I think there's definitely value to look at you, what people in your space is doing. Um, Yeah. If they, but here's, here's my catch with that. My gotcha as someone who's done this and has had people do this to me, uh, going and looking at someone's website, seeing their offers, their price points, everything, and assuming that their business is rocking it, that they're making shitloads of money, that they're profitable, that their ads are working. Like, there is a whole industry of people who they call themselves funnel hackers and they'll go through someone else's funnel and copy and learn what they can about how they've built their whole funnel, their emails, their campaigns, their offers, and then they go out there and sell that to other people. But it makes a huge assumption that that funnel is actually profitable and is worthwhile. So Mm. pay attention. I like the idea of pay attention to where your, your competitors are, to, especially if they're doing it long-term, but unless you know or have an insight that they're tracking their numbers, that they're smart about this, they know what they're doing, then you're just, it's like you seeing your friend put money on red. So you go, I'm going to put money on red as well. That's the only difference. You don't know unless you understand their logic of why they've decided to do red, you're still flying a bit blind. I love it.
1: So we've talked a lot about the concepts of marketing and I think we've covered enough broad strategy for someone to feel a bit more confident than from the start of this episode around where they should be putting their energy. Obviously, the role of a CEO or a business founder is not to be a full-time marketer. Uh, You've built a team to market. I've built a team to market. When should someone start to think about building a marketing team in their business?
0: And how do they go about doing that? Mm. One thing I will clarify is I actually believe that the business owner will always be the best marketer and salesperson in their business from an idea and concept standpoint but that's from the, the strategy. I believe that you will, no one will understand your customers as well as you do. And yeah, that's I why agree. you are such a crucial part of being a part of marketing and sales. You don't need to be the executioner. You don't need to be the person who clicks the buttons, builds the webpage, posts the thing on social media, runs the ads, but you do need to be a vital part of deciding what the offers are and looking at those numbers. You can have other people report the numbers back to you, but I believe this, that it's the very last thing that a business owner should ever remove themselves from is the, the the marketing strategy piece. Now I'm biased, I've learned over the years to be a marketer. So I understand not everyone can maybe fit into that. It's just my view. Um, in terms of when you build the execution, the who's who could do all the things, you could do that right away. I mean, you know, I, I can give a little plug to my own business uh, automation agency. We can instantly help you with building landing pages, website stuff, doing your email marketing, you know, graphic design, all of that. Like, if you're, you, you can get a team for a very affordable cost, whether you're using me, whether you use other agencies, whether you use uh, just general outsources, you can build a team for a very affordable rate. What I would say is the core part that I be, I strongly believe someone in the business should be driving the strategy. You can engage consultants, bring them in, but someone, whether you or a project manager. So if you're a big team, you're a big business and you're like, as the owner going, I don't want to drive the strategy or I don't want to drive the pieces, hire a marketing manager who their job is to get the numbers, liaise with the video editors, liaise with the content team, liaise with the web developers, the graphic designers, but they engage with you around the offers. They report back the numbers you're keeping track of. Is this actually buying customers in our allowable acquisition costs? And is the strategy buying the right kind of customers? That's, that's the part that I really truly believe the CEO should stay on top of.
1: Mm, I like that. I found that naturally it was the last function that I built out in the business. Uh, first, it was delegating delivery. Then it was delegating finance. Then it was building a sales team. And finally, it was the marketing team was the last team that I built. For me, I think I approached this question from operational efficiency. Uh, you know, where is your return on time going to be from the different activities that you're doing? You know, that's why delivery is best to get off your plate first, and then you know all the other stuff that kind of annoys you. And I agree with you. The founder of a business, you know, particularly in in growth businesses, is going to be so crucial for driving the public perception of the business for using an influencer or a thought leader strategy with the business. And that's not the only strategy available. You can certainly market a business without putting your name and your face on it. But I think, you know, I I do agree with you that, uh, you know, having either the business owner or senior business leaders involved in that strategy internally is absolutely critical because that's, it's it's the lifeblood of the business. It's the you know the river of of water that's flowing into uh, flowing prosperity into the business is being able to
0: attract new customers and new business. It's the predictor of of problems. Like if soon if you start yeah. having a marketing problem, you know you're going to soon have a cash flow problem mm. potentially, depending on your business model. So yeah. it's. It, keeping track of that is a crucial part. And I'm exactly the same as you. Like I built out my delivery team first. That's always, I believe every business owner should remove themselves from delivery first. Um, And then from there, like similar, the sales process was the next one that I took myself out of. I actually, I took myself out of a little bit of the finance, but I still hold a lot of the finance control for me. Um, But marketing is something that I only, because it's part of my genius and what I do well, it's something I'm only really now outside of the delegation of the individual bits. I'm only now starting to go, okay, I'm going to take myself a little bit out of the strategy. I'm going to be more of an advisor than the dictator of the strategy. And this is new for me and I'll be able to report back on the learnings I get from this process. But um, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a journey for sure. And the marketing is such a crucial part of any business, whether you think you're a marketer or not, you are a marketer.
1: It's really interesting that even in the microcosm of building a marketing team first, I brought on delivery, which was, you know, creating assets and, and actually, you know, getting the Facebook ads set up. Then it was uh, content, which was, you know, a little bit of editorial and doing some writing. And then finally, it was strategy, someone to help come on and take some of the, the strategy away. So even in, in the, you know, the broader strategy of delegation across the business in the smaller element of actually building a marketing team, the
0: strategy was pretty similar in there as well. Mm. And I think that's, it's worth touching on if it's not clear to someone listening. Like, when we talk about building a marketing team, don't think you need to go and hire full timers. You know, you mm. can work with agencies, contractors, uh, part-timers, assistants, mm. you know, you don't feel like that the the people we're talking about are all full-time positions. In some businesses, they are, and I've got many full-timers, mm. but I also have um, other content. Like I've got Automation agency. I also have my Carl Taylor as an individual brand. I do do a little bit of brand marketing there, and I invest in a content team who take some of my old videos and podcasts and they turn that into social media posts for me. And that that's an outsourced team. So that's uh, don't yeah. Please don't feel like when you're building a team that it means you have to have employees. You, you can also be include services.
1: Awesome. And anyone who's listening should consider automation agency if that's where you're looking to start. I can certainly say myself before building a team internally of dedicated resources, being able to delegate and outsource to someone uh, for a very affordable rate, literally less than an offshore uh, uh, resource, uh, you can have a multidisciplinary team who can help you out with that. So, a little plug for Carl's business there. I think it's time to wrap this one up, Carl. We've covered a broad scope of marketing and and what our thoughts are on on how business owners should be thinking and you know what tools they can bring to the table when they want to market their business. To you, the listener, I hope this has been valuable for you. And if it has, we would very much appreciate you leaving a review on either our iTunes page or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also jump on to our Facebook page, look for Entrepreneurs Rising or rising.show and you'll find our page there. You can leave us a recommendation. Carl, I'm going to hand over to you to wrap us up.
0: Well, I'm not quite sure what else to say. You've said, leave us a review. You've said, check us out. So I'm just going to say, be a marketer, do marketing, love your business and look forward to connecting with you in the next episode. See you next time, guys.